One of Oregon's treasures is the snowy peaks of Mount Hood. Most people go skiing, but the birds can be good. Thank you for tuning in to Hannah and Eric Go Birding, a podcast by birders for birders. I'm Hannah, and he's Eric. And we created this podcast to share adventures, sometimes misadventures, and opinions that we have on different birding topics. We're definitely not experts, and anything that we discuss that might be controversial, we want you to remember, they're own opinions, and they might be different from yours. So it has been super hot. Yeah, it um, has. Most, most of the country has been really hot. Most most of the United States has been pretty darn hot. Oregon has finally gotten there. We're, we're <laughs> finally there. So I think uh, we were up around 90 degrees or so, oh. over, over 90 um, the last two days, which in Oregon is is kind of hot because most people don't have air conditioning. But uh, I think I want to just like permanently live in a 70 degree place with no mosquitoes. That'd be like my heaven. Well, Cannon Beach is pretty close to that. It's not 70 degrees year-round, <laughs> and there have been more and more mosquitoes in our backyard. Uh, that's true. We do have mosquitoes in the backyard. We so, just need more bats. Yeah, that's true. So, um, yeah, news on uh, birds has been kind of scarce lately, I feel like. Well, we've been busy. We have, there's, yeah. There's probably all sorts of exciting news that's happened. That I mean, there was that I puffin mean, we yeah. talked about in the last episode. I think somebody saw the stellar sea eagle somewhere. Really? Like in Newfoundland. The one bit of news that I do that I remember has nothing to do with birds, okay. and it's something that just came out just the other day. The James Webb space, um, Deep Space Telescope has been put into operation. So, those of you that are into other sciencey stuff, um, they just put it online. It's took its first photos, so it's super exciting. Really deep field photography. So, where's that at? I'm confused. It's way out in space. Okay. It's it's a, it's a telescope floating out in space so that it doesn't have the interference of the atmosphere. Or, and it, I think it also is far enough out that a lot of the magnetic stuff from Earth kind of is not dealt, is, it's outside of all of that stuff. So it's, it's way the heck out there. Okay, so this is a really stupid question. So, I, I may mean, not know because I don't know a lot about this telescope. <laughs> well, I just, I have trouble envisioning this. Like, did they just, like, take a telescope and, like, fling it into the void? Is it on something? <laughs> No, it's just, it's just, it's literally just like this, it's, so you, you know, we Is have, it like the Google map, like, um, you know, cameras, like, that you see them drive around and it's on top of a car? Is it like that? No, so <laughs> it, it's literally just like a big giant, as far as I know, a big giant tube. So like our just telescope. Out there. Yeah, like our telescope, just sitting out there in space, like, way out there. But is it like flinging? It's got, it's got little, it's got, it's got positioning thrusters on it, so it can go to reposition itself to point different directions. So how long do they anticipate that that will I don't know continue that <laughs> giving us photos? I don't know. Hubble lasted a lot longer than it was anticipated um, to last. It was scheduled for a certain number of years and it like doubled that hmm. for how long it was in operation. James Webb Space Telescope is a similar thing, I imagine. It's going to be slated for a certain number of years and then probably as with everything else that NASA does, they're going to try to squeeze every penny out of it and be sure. like, oh, well, it cost us how many ever billion dollars to put it up there, so let's make sure we get uh, double the time that we anticipated out of it. Because they, they build stuff well, so it lasts a long time out in space. Okay. Yeah, no rust. Interesting. Yeah, super exciting. I mean, if, if, if those of you that have seen the photos, that or the photo that's been submitted or posted online all over the place, NASA posted it, and it's kind of, my, my Facebook feed's kind of blowing up with it, different people. Sharing their takes on what the what's in the picture and all that stuff, so it's kind of kind of exciting. All the different galaxies you can see. And mine was full of wild green memes, <laughs> and everybody taking animal names and giving 
people giving them the proper names. Like, so a turtle, his proper name was, it was like Turtle Thee. <laughs> so that's what my Facebook was full of <laughs> in the last week. I feel so. like we have different Facebook friends. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> um, so besides that, we didn't have any reviews for this round. That brings us to my latest episode. Women Birders Happy Hour. Yeah, so you can listen to Women Birders Happy Hour anywhere you listen to your podcast. Um, this last one, I emailed Geraldine, and uh, the drink for that episode was a wood duck. And Geraldine mm. is putting out a children's book in the next couple months, I believe, um, that I'm super excited about. It's all about birds and about, you know, kind of finding yourself through the birds um, so it was so fun to, to talk with Geraldine about that project and also about how birds, you know, can, can really show us stuff about ourselves. She's a child psychiatrist. Um, and so she, you know, uses birding with her clients, um, you know, to, to teach like patients and calming <laughs> down and things like yeah. that. I talked about you a lot. Uh-oh. How you like to like run around on rocks and like hardcore parkour. <laughs> and I'm like, I like to sit, you know, and like enjoy. Oh yeah, I can't. <laughs> you're like, still. I'm gonna climb up this mountain. <laughs> I, I've got I've got I've gotta be doing something. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways. Cool. Well, our bird nerd giveaway. Because this is a winner and an announcement of the next one, this episode. We doubled up on this we episode. We doubled up on this episode. So our last bird nerd giveaway, um, the results have been collated. We have chosen a winner. Um, <laughs> tabulated. They've been tabulated, yeah. We've picked picked randomly. The randomly picked winner is going to be winning, or has now won, and is going to be shipped, a um, prize package courtesy of the National Audubon Society that contains a small bag of bird feed, a reusable fabric bag, a handkerchief, and a copy of the spring issue of the Audubon magazine. And a lot of those products were created from the Bird Collective. Yes. Um, so that was a really fun collaboration with Audubon and Bird Collective. And then we were so grateful for Audubon for sharing this with us and asking us to participate. Yeah. So we asked everyone to um, tell us what their favorite uh, um, track. Track. There we go. From... I, was I was trying to remember what the particular, the smaller level than album <laughs> track. What the particular track um, from the the bird song project from Audubon, um, which one they liked the most out of the first two volumes that have been released. And the, the winner, she, they submitted a, uh, answer that I thought was, is probably one of my favorite tracks too. Um, or reels on volume one. It's just, it's really cool. It's a, it's a jazzy, uh, it's a jazzy piece between a saxophone and a bunch of bird calls. And it's like a call. And it's response. a call and response. So it's just the, the saxophone will do its thing. And then bird calls. And then it's it. They're definitely playing off of each other. Like, well, I don't know if the birds playing off of the. Well, the saxophone. saxophone's playing off the birds. So okay. You, maybe the birds are playing off the saxophone. The saxophone's just doing its own thing, and the birds are I, birds are learning. Maybe. I mean, maybe it's a lyre bird. I don't know, but it it was really good. I I really enjoyed it. So the winner who um, who submitted that was misanthropic underscore dinosaur on Instagram. So thank you so much for participating and everyone else. Uh, misanthropic dinosaur will get a hold of you and try to figure out how to get that stuff to you. Yeah. But we also want to announce our July Birdner giveaway. So that one was our bonus one um, for celebrating four years of podcasting and the start of season five, as well as the release of volume two of For the Birds, the Bird Song Project by Audubon. Um, so the July one. Yes. Is... Back to regularly scheduled programming. <laughs> this is our July Birdner giveaway. I'm very excited about this. So Later Z's is an artist that I've been following on Instagram for a while and finally got myself together to purchase some stuff from her a mm -hmm. couple weeks ago. 
Um, I got uh, myself a wallet because the wallet that I had really pissed me off all the time. <laughs> Eric can attest to that. Every time at Costco, it's like, Hannah, get your Costco card out. And it's like, I can't find it. <laughs> um, so anyways, I bought a better wallet from Later Z's. And, you know, we asked Later Z's if they wanted to participate in this. So we've got two keychains for you for a potential winner. Um, but just a little bit about Later Z's. So my... Name is Casey, and I am the artist behind my small business, Later Z's. Nature, art, and sewing are my biggest loves, and a few years ago, I discovered a way to combine them all through textile design. I started Later Z's to help bring awareness to wildlife and conservation through art, while ensuring I put the needs of our fragile planet first. I utilize eco-friendly materials and methods wherever possible and continue to research and adopt new practices to grow as a sustainable and earth-friendly business. So thank you, Later Z's, for collaborating with us on this. Um, like I said, I really <laughs> love like the designs mm -hmm. that are on the you know on the products that yeah. they have. So Eric, do you want to tell everybody what they need to do to submit for this Bird Nerd giveaway? Yeah, so it's I, I feel like it's fairly easy, even though it literally took me two days to think of an eco-friendly product. <laughs> I, I don't know why I had a weird brain fart where it just would not uh -huh. would not come out of my brain. Or maybe it would, my brain was just empty and it just wasn't in there in the first place. But um, we want you to submit your favorite eco-friendly product. So, Hannah, you've got an example of your favorite yeah, current so, eco-friendly product. So my favorite is uh, the beeswax food wraps. Um, we uh, have yes. a couple of them that I got for Christmas a few years ago. And I just really like it because you can use it instead of saran wrap. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's easier to use <laughs> than saran wrap. You know, you always like pull out saran wrap and it's like you just get a little chunk of it. It's and it never sticks what you to want. itself and you're, Ugh, trying to, and you're fighting with it. You need four hands to be able to stretch it back out. Yeah. So I really yeah. like the beeswax because you can – it's easy to clean off and it, it's also um, – like moldable to the top of the lid. You just like heat it up with your hands, mm -hmm. like as you're pressing down and that helps it stick to the, the product that you're yeah, trying and, to And we've been to. using them for over a year now. Oh yeah. For pretty much any time we have leftovers, we just right over the top of the bowl or the, or the pan or whatever mm -hmm. it is that we're putting in the fridge. Super easy. Yeah. So then my, uh, my current favorite uh, eco-friendly product is all of our reusable shopping bags. So we have a ton of reusable, reusable shopping bags um, they just kind of, we kind of cycle through them. Most of them have birds on them. There's, <laughs> it's just, they're either plastic or fabric bags that we've been, most of them we've been using for well over, well over a year, a couple, couple years for most of them. So rather than getting the plastic or paper bags constantly, even though you can reuse the paper bags and you can reuse the plastic bags, like these ones, like you reuse them quite a bit more. So. And they're usually more durable. They're too. more durable. Yeah, we 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 use them for when when we um, also when we go out of town, we'll bring our, our clothes in a reusable shopping bag. A lot of times, if we're if we're not going on like an actual trip. So those are a couple examples of our favorite eco-friendly products. So what we want you to do is tell us your favorite eco-friendly product. Um, you can do so uh, through Instagram, Facebook, you know, all those different avenues or email. And the deadline is July 26th um, to be entered for us to randomly select someone to win two keychains from Later Z's. Main story. Now, now we're at the main story. This is this is the this is the part I've been waiting for. So I was really excited about this. So yes. Eric and I grew up in Oregon, um, just south of Portland. And we, you know, have seen Mount Hood our whole life. Like, it's always like a thing in, in the Portland area that if you see three mountains, it's a good day. 
So it's, it's a three mountain day. So you've got Mount Hood, Mount St. Helens, and Mount Rainier. It, when you can see all three of those mountains, you know the weather's good. You know there's no haze. There's no there's no weather on the on the horizon. So it's it, super exciting. You've got today and probably tomorrow of good weather when that's the when that's the case. A three mountain day. So it's it's always it's always exciting. So Mount Hood has always been there, kind of looming over us, a, volca- a <laughs> volcano right in the right on the horizon that we can see. It just stands up. So Mount Hood is just something that like Eric was going to say, looms over us, but yes. that has like an, an impending tone. It's it, not, it doesn't loom menacingly. <laughs> it, it, it looms like it's protecting us. Like oh, it's yeah. going to protect us with the lava. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, sure. <laughs> it'll it, coat us warmly. Anyways, a warm hug. I always think of it really positively because it is that like, oh, it's a sign of good weather. You yeah. know, if you can see it. Um, it's a beautiful view, but Eric and I really have never been up there. We're not snow people. <laughs> no, I've driven over it for work a handful of times because there's a pass that goes over there to get over to Central Oregon. Mm-hmm. I've driven over it back and forth a handful of times, but I've never gotten out of my vehicle while I'm on it. I went once to the lodge when I was a kid, that, and I barely remember it. So, I don't really count So, it. not a lot of experience mountaineering or skiing or being up on the mountain. Yeah, so we're not snow people, and that's one of the reasons why we decided to move to the south for a while and live in Texas and Florida, because I was, like, sick of all my friends going skiing and snowboarding. It's like, I want to go kayaking. (laughs) I want to do warm weather sports. Yeah, exactly. Um, But, you know, skiing and snowboarding has always been, like, a mystery to me. My parents have done it before Mm -hmm. they had me and my sister, Um, so I'm always a little like annoyed at them that they didn't teach me how to do that. (laughs) Um, sorry, mom. I know you listen. I'm just kidding. Uh, but anyways, it, it, like I said, it's always been just a huge mystery to me and like it's huge barrier that I don't understand how it works. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I'd be successful at it. And the whole idea kind of scares me. Mm -hmm. So anyways, that being said, we decided to explore Mount Hood and Timberline Lodge. Um, they are only an hour and a half away from Portland and it's, you know, it's not far to be able to go there or to go to the coast. So Portland is a great spot if you decide to come and visit Oregon to use as a home base for those different things. And so that was one, one of the other reasons we wanted to discuss it is because it's not far from the Portland airport. Yeah. And, um, you know, Multnomah Falls is another big hotspot that a lot of folks go to, but Timberline is just you know, a little further down the road. Yeah, so they're, they're, they're super close together. We also had a target species that's a high elevation species, a gray-crowned rosy finch, that we were like, well, we can we can accomplish two goals here. We can we can go to a place that we've never been to, go kind of check it out, see what's going on up there, see if we can learn how to navigate it and explore it, and then maybe also get a lifer. Yeah. Um, so about it, Mount Hood only being an hour and a half. So it's I think it's really interesting. I, I don't know if people actually do this frequently. I've heard lots of people, heard of people <laughs> doing this. Um, that they would go up to the mountain, they'd wake up in Portland, they'd go up to the mountain, go skiing for sunrise, and then they'd run, do a couple runs, and then a handful of runs till they get tired, till lunchtime or whatever. And then they would then hop in their car and drive out to the beach, which is three hours at that point, because you're hour and a half to the Portland, hour and a half out to the beach, and then go surfing it for sunset. So then you go skiing for breakfast, and you surf for dinner. So... <laughs> I don't know how many people actually do that sort of thing, but I've, I've heard people talk about doing that. So That sounds like a long day. It sounds like a very long day. But, <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's possible. There's, it's, it's a three-hour drive from snow to beach, so it's, it's close. And also, it's, always, it's always got snow almost year-round on Mount Hood. There's a big glacier up there, and then there's 
just snow that you can ski for, I think it's 11 months out of the year. Something like that. Yeah, it's, I, th- I think they advertise it as October until August. Yeah, so it's their actually, skiing season. It's actually the longest skiing season in North America is found up on Mount Hood. It's so long. You, you only get one month off. If, if you're if you're into snow sports, you only get one month to rest. <laughs> so uh, Mount Hood is a potentially active stratovolcano in the Cascade Volcanic Arc formed by the su- subduction zone. And it's about 11,249 feet high. Um, there's about six ski areas totaling over 4,600 acres of skiable terrain. So there is a lot to do up there. And I think there's over 1,000 miles of trails um, in in the Mount Hood National Forest. Yeah. So there is a ton of stuff to do up there that's not just skiing. Yeah, and there, there's a trail that I know I'll probably never hike, but there's a trail <laughs> that is, I think, at a, a similar elevation to Timberline Lodge. Timberline Lodge is at 6,000 feet. Um, but it goes completely around the perimeter of the mountain. So you, you're at the 6,000 foot mark and you just hike around around the, um, around the peak basically at 6,000 feet, which is technically only halfway up the mountain, but it's still like you're up on the mountain kind of at m- mildly high elevation. So it's, it's more difficult to do it, but it's, a, it looked like a really cool trail that I probably will never do because I don't, I don't know how many miles it is. I, I looked on the website the other day and saw it, but it looked like a really cool trail. And so when we went up, um, it was a couple days after they had opened up one of their ski lifts for foot traffic for the summer season. So normally the ski lifts are only open for skiers and snowboarders yeah. and, you know, snow people, uh, but not for just regular pedestrians. So this was kind of uh, fortuitous, you know, that we were able to go up right after they opened it. So there was still a lot of snow up on the slopes. Yeah, it was technically very early in the hiking season for <laughs> even, even even though we're uh, in July. Mid, we're mid July, and now. it was like eighty degrees up there. It was very it was it was very hot, but we're walking through snow, and it's it's hard compacted snow because it's old. It hasn't snowed up there in in a couple months now. But because you're at such high elevation, like quote unquote such high elevation, it's six, 6 thousand seven thousand feet or so. Um, still a lot of snow on the ground. Not, not a lot of air to keep everything warm at night, so it cools off and gets back to freezing overnight. So so the um, chairlift that we were going to go up was opening at 11 for mm-hmm. foot traffic. It opens at 7 for skiers, but 11 for foot traffic. Um, so we got up to the lodge at about 11, mm-hmm. so we could you know see the lodge a little bit and then go up and... Timber- meet, meet, meet the big... Uh, um, dog they have. The, oh yeah, the St. Bernard. The St. Bernard. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a little bit about Timberline because it is just like an Oregon institution. Like everybody knows about Timberline. You just say it and people like all know what you're Oh, they know exactly about. what you're talking about. So it was built in 1936 to 1938 by the Works Progress Administration. Um, it was built and furnished by local artisans during the Great Depression. It was dedicated by F- President FDR, and afterwards he and Eleanor Roosevelt enjoyed a celebratory lunch that included salmon and huckleberry pie. So Kind of sounds like a lunch we'd have today. I know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe not us, but like people in Oregon. Well, that just sounds like such a hand-picked meal for them. It's like, <laughs> you will have salmon and huckleberry pie. <laughs> Those are two very iconic uh, Oregon foods. Um, as Eric mentioned, it sits at the Timberline Lodge itself sits at just about 6,000 feet of elevation and it's within the Mount Hood National Forest. Um, so it's kind of a weird situation because it's publicly owned and privately operated and it sees about 2 million visitors a year, which I thought was actually kind of low. I figured it would be more than that. 
Yeah, I mean, it is. It does seem. I wonder if it's two million unique visitors. I imagine because so. Portland is like six hundred thousand people. Like, like th- th- those that don't know, Oregon does not have as high a population as many other states. So six hundred thousand people that live in Portland. So it's four times the number of people that live in Portland go yeah. up to Timberline each year. Um, so it's also very famous because it was in the movie The Shining, where it lends its exterior for the Overlook Hotel. So it's this big, beautiful lodge um, that sits just at the base of Mount Hood on, the, or uh, yeah, Mount Hood on the south side. And it was at the Timberline. Yeah, very good. <laughs> um, it's a resort hotel, and it's about fifty-five thousand square feet on four stories. Um, it was designed by Gilbert Stanley Underwood, who was referred to, I love this term, the parkitect. The parkitect. Um, who had developed several famous national park service lodges, such as Bryce Canyon, Zion, and in Yosemite. And this was all spurred on because of FDR's vision of winter sports at Timberline Lodge and at Mount Hood. Uh, and that also spurred construction of the chairlift that Eric and I went on, which is called the Magic Mile, which opened in 1939. So the after it was reopened, after the 16 years, and then it closed mm-hmm. because it wasn't making it, the next owner, he took ownership of it and decided that he wanted it to be successful. Even though he didn't own the property, he owned the operations. Okay. And his family actually still owns it to this day. And I think it's the son is the one who's currently operating it. But um, it was years and years and years of conflicts with ownership with the federal government and financial strain before it became a profit. And it was actually, it wasn't until like the 1950s, like the late 1950s, that skiing became a thing in the U.S. And so that was one of the things that just kicked it off and made it successful. Um, And it also, you know, it's hard to get up there. Back in the the 50s, like, what, take your, my dad's old car, you know, (laughs) the the old Ford that my dad has, like driving that all the way up to Mount Hood would have just been, it would have been a whole day venture. Just yeah. to get up there. And so I, I was thinking about that while we were driving up there because it's a bunch of just, you're doing a bunch of switchbacks and you're just kind of driving through the forest. And that road's a new road. Like, it's probably not a new route, but it's a relatively new road because it wasn't, I'm sure that route and that specific road wasn't there in the 50s. Like, you were probably going some other weird route and it was probably gravel halfway and. It was, it was quite, probably quite the treacherous road to get up to Timberline. Yeah, and Mount Hood itself, I mean, faces a lot of um, environmental factors each year. I mean, like, they get just wild storms up there. The winds can exceed 100 mile an hour, and yeah. sometimes the chairlifts freeze because, you know, especially the one going up to the top of that Palmer one, the second mm-hmm. one that we didn't go on, that can freeze, and they don't have the capacity or the ability to de-ice them. And so, like, you know, if all of that strain is happening on that place. Like it's not, it's not going to be able to make it essentially. Um, So things have improved throughout the years, like the roads access and just general mechanics have enabled them to be more successful and to attract more folks. Better de-icing technology (laughs) and better ability to maintain chairlifts and stuff. Yeah. And I don't know how many people are staying up there. Like when I looked at the price, I think for the night that we were, or the day we were going up, Mm -hmm. I think it was like $210 a night to stay up at the lodge. Um, Most of the folks that we saw, because the parking lot was full, were oh. day, probably day trippers from yeah, Portland. because it's an hour and a half from Portland. So you exactly. As someone from Portland, you don't need to stay at the lodge to be able to ski up, up there in that area because it's it's an hour and a half drive. So you get, you get up at 6, you're up there by 7.30, and it's 
that's not that late. Yeah. And it's as, only an hour after the chairlifts open or a half hour after the chairlifts open. And as we know, as um, folks who live in a tourist community, like if you're not getting money from those day trippers, like you're losing out on a lot of potential funding for yeah. things that they're using. So Mount Hood, you do have to have a, a chairlift pass, which I think for skiers and snowboarders is like $97 a day yeah, for that. Like but then there's also all this stuff about, and this is where my knowledge really yeah. lacks, like snow passes. Yeah, so, so you, you have to have um, a snow park pass um, if you're going to park. Basically, it's all the, the whole winter season. You have to have a snow park pass, and it's basic. It's their way to get money for you parking at trailheads to go cross country skiing or um, other places. You do need a snow park pass from during the winter season. I think it was like April, maybe April through November. No, 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 November through April. November through April. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, the winter, um, you need a snow park pass even to park at Timberline itself. Well, so, and to park in yeah various places throughout yeah. Mount Hood National Forest. Yeah, all, all over the place you need it, but I, I was surprised you needed it at Timberline. Like you didn't need it if you were staying at the lodge. Mm-hmm. You could just drive up to the lodge, and then you're you got parking included with your. With your uh, night, but the outside parking lots that are all up at Timberline, you needed a snow park, which I was kind of surprised about. But yeah. just so you know, if you're going up there and you're going during the winter, you need a snow park pass. Yeah, so you need to think in advance. The lodge itself is just absolutely stunning, mm-hmm. you know, with the Mount Hood backdrop, but then the facade itself is just gorgeous. We went inside to just use the bathroom for a moment. And, you know, there's kind of like a little museum section to it. There's yeah. a National Forest Ranger there to answer questions, and he was leading hikes. Uh, but it's just, it's really iconic and, yeah. and just gorgeous. So I'm glad we got to see it. Oh yeah. Um, so the Magic Mile, uh, chairlift that we were going up itself, it was named for its unique location above the tree line. It ends at about 7,000 feet. And then it was also named for its original length, which was a mile. And when it was built, it was the longest chairlift in existence. The second lift also that was passenger lift. Okay. Um, and then the first to use metal towers. The first lift only held one chair like at a time. So you'd be going by yourself up the, the lift. And it took about 11 minutes. Um, so they only got through 225 people an hour. Um, now the current lift, each chair holds four people. The ride takes less than six minutes on average. And you can get over 3,000 people up and up the mountain per hour, so that That's is a, lot. a significant increase from from back in the day, like two twenty five up to three thousand people. That's that's a lot more efficient. Yeah, a lot more skiers. <laughs> and so, like we mentioned, um, you know, we started at eleven when they allowed uh, walk in passengers to go up. Mm-hmm. It was twenty dollars each for an all day lift ticket um, to go up it, and you know, we stuck out like a sore thumb. <laughs> When we were like getting in line to go. The only people not wearing helmets, the only people not wearing snow gear, not carrying skis or snowboards. I was wearing a tank top. (laughs) So definitely sticking out. Like we are not dressed for cold weather, even though it wasn't cold up there at all. It wasn't cold down where we were at. I don't know how these people were not like dying from heat exhaustion. I know. Wearing wearing all of that, all of that snow gear. I mean, they're probably getting splashes of snow the whole time they're, they're riding, but... I kind of imagine they just like stick snowballs down their jacket just to cool <laughs> off. Um, but anyways, as we were waiting to get on the lift itself, like we said, we stuck out. Uh, we were pretty obvious. And so there was a, a person who was like scanning everybody's ticket. And um, he saw us and he was like, do you guys know how to ride this? 
<laughs> and so he gave us like a brief tutorial. And I felt like told nerd that it was like, I don't know. But then once you do it, it's pretty obvious. Yeah. He you, just, you just stand there and then the chair takes you up. He kind of hyped it up yeah. a little well, bit. Well, it, it was, it was so, it was interesting. Cause like, I'm used to talking with like surfers and stuff. Like, yeah. Like bro and dude and, and stuff like that. And then this guy very, he was, he was probably, I don't know. He's probably in his fifties or so. Yeah. And he was talking just like all the surfers, except for he's up on up on the mountain. So it's it's a very similar mentality, the surfers and the snowboarders and skiers. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, all right, you're just going to follow these jabronis right here, and the lift will get behind you, and it'll be gnarly, but just hold on. And, <laughs> and it's just like, okay, all right, this is... But he, he's like, he's like just going through it, like, straight face. Like, this, these are just the words that he uses in normal, normal everyday talk. So it was... It was so it's kind of interesting just just talking to somebody getting getting like the official rundown of how this operates while while he's using words like jabroni and gnarly and and stuff like that. We're just like we're birders. We're here to look at birds. Yeah, we're car- carrying our camera gear and our binoculars and stuff. So yeah, that was an experience. Uh, so we got the, on the lift and we're on it, and there was a little girl that was on it too with us that was going up to join the ski. She's camp. like ten years old. Oh man, I don't even know if she was that old. I was like, you know how to do this? I can't ski. <laughs> and she just like rolled her eyes at Hannah. Like, whatever. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, so anyways, the, the ride did take a little longer. I, they had to, um, I think people were walking back and forth. And so they had to pause it every couple minutes or so. Yeah. Uh, but it was just. I, I think it took maybe eight minutes to get to the top. Yeah. It was an actually absolutely beautiful ride. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The views up there are just stunning. Yeah. You're, fa- you're facing towards the peak the whole time. So you're, you're, you're looking at this. You're, you're looking at the Palmer Glacier, and then just above it is just the actual peak of Mount Hood. And it's just like the snow-covered peak right in front of you. And you're just like, I'm going there. <laughs> and you're, we're hearing birds call all the way up the hill. Um, you know, pine siskins were pretty common. Well, yeah. actually, first it was like juncos. Juncos, a whole bunch, yeah. Yeah, up in the tree line. And then once we kind of hit the tree line, it's, it quieted down a little bit. And it was more like ravens calling off in yeah. the distance. Distant calling of pine siskins. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we we didn't really see a whole lot. I did see some ground squirrels. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, hopping around the boulders. when the snow's there, I imagine this, everything's a lot closer to the lift. <laughs> but without, without snow below us at that point. Like it's it was like it was like forty fifty feet down to the ground. Really, I was thinking it was only like twenty. Oh no, it was it was like it was it was a ways down there. Well, I'm glad I didn't realize that <laughs> while we we're on it because I was scared the whole time. Yeah, no, it, it it was a ways down down to the ground. I think like going straight down with the way you'd follow gravity would probably would probably be like forty feet or so. Yikes! But we had it. We we had our safety bar down. It was all good. But. Like, so as the things were far away when we were looking at the ground, it's like, oh, these little t- tiny ground squirrels, they're small anyways, but they were a long ways away. <laughs> yeah, so once we got up to the top, um, there was a nice big wide open gravel picnic area um, that had a giant group there that was listening to some sort of lecture. I think they I were think on was, a guided tour. I think it was like geology because they were talking about the rocks. Oh, I, I see. I, didn't, I couldn't hear what they were talking about. I just know that after a little while, we went over to the, some, some snow and started throwing snowballs at each other. Well, sure. So, as one does. Yeah. Once you go up to the mountain, you throw snowballs. Yeah. Um, we hiked up a little bit to get kind of a better view and it's just, it's fascinating the like peak. I don't, so the peak was 11,000 feet mm-hmm. and we were at, we at 7,000. 7, so it's still 4,000 feet above us. Yeah. And I, you know, there were people that were like up way, way further from us. Yeah. They, they were up at the top of the next, uh, cause, cause there's one more, one more chairlift that goes up higher. That's only for skiers. So you, you can't go up there as a um, foot traffic only. 
but uh, it, it goes up probably another thousand feet. So you're you're probably up at like the eight thousand foot mark at just, the top of the Palmer. People were so little up know, there still. So I mean, there are ants up there skiing around. <laughs> that was wild, um, and had some ravens flying over, yeah. like up where they were at. <laughs> yeah, they probably left their lunches out or something. The ravens are coming to get it. <laughs> yeah, uh, but just an absolutely gorgeous view, looking north at the mountain and south. You know, you see the whole Mount Hood National Forest. Mm-hmm. Timothy Lake was below it. Yeah. Um, and it's, it was just, like we said, it was so weird to be standing in this snowy field in a tank top, not feeling cold, being pretty hot actually. And then seeing like, you know, nice spruce trees and all that below us. Standing on snow. Yeah. 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 So it was pretty, this, this time July is essentially pretty early in the, in the season. So there's for birding, for, for birding and for, uh, and for hiking, because um, everything is still either partially snowy or snow melt, so it's getting really wet. So we weren't, we didn't have the proper footwear to go like snow hiking. Yeah. So we, we were just wearing our Allbirds, which are water resistant. But if you just like if you're walking into stuff, they're less than ankle height, so you'd end up getting your feet all wet. So yeah. we couldn't really go on a very long hike from up there. So we decided, you know, let's go back down to the lodge and we'll do some birding down near the lodge, which is where. Most of the habitat is anyways, because that's that it's at the timberline. So lots of uh, the trees with the cones and other vegetation that's down there. So more more birds down near the lodge itself. It was just really nice and scenic up at the top. And that's where the um, sighting had been of the great crown rosy finches. Yes, yeah, our target for the day. Um, on eBird, it was said that they were seen near a concrete tower near the lodge, and so we put in the coordinates for that and started hiking up towards that. Which, um, we ended up going the wrong trail, so we had to, like, sprint across, like, a, a ski slope <laughs> while people weren't coming, so that was exciting. Yeah, it was, it was exciting, yeah, because it's, like, I, I, I didn't want to, like, tear up the, the ground so that they couldn't ski on it very well, but it was just, like, they didn't seem to care. They just, like, because it's on the backside of, like, a, a little jump thing, so I was, like, okay, well, they're not going to actually ski right here anyways. They're going to be in the air through this I just portion. didn't want to get hit by someone. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so we, we ended up getting over to where that tower was, um, and I, I kind of want to say something about alpine birding is there are not a lot of species that live up there. So it's kind of like when we go out to Haystack Rock, yeah, you you have like an expected like twelve species on your checklist, and it's like I feel like I'm seeing so many birds, but there's only <laughs> twelve species. Yeah, and it's the same same sort of thing with uh, alpine birding is there's not a ton of species, not a huge diversity that lives up there, but the diversity that lives up there doesn't live anywhere else. So you have to go up to that elevation to get things like gray crowned rosy finch and Clark's nutcracker, not entirely, but th- that would, they were very common. Up there. I mean, those are just more Eastern in Oregon than we're at. Yeah. But like, like the higher elevation species, they, you don't get them other places. You have to be up there. Mountain bluebirds, ptarmigans, ptarmigans stuff like that, that you have, you have to go to high elevation to get them, but it's kind of like, you don't get a lot of bang for your buck for the number of species, but mm-hmm. you get some really cool species. Yeah. Up there. Well, that's how it was, you know, when we went to Zaxxon Bog, like, yeah. what did we only get like 20 species on that whole trip? Yeah. And like, but, like 15 of them were lifers. So yeah, but they're all like so specific to that kind of condition mm-hmm. that you have to, you're not going to see them unless, I mean, great, oh. great owl, great, great owl. A lot of people see those in other places, but like the sharp tailed, um, grouse, grouse that we saw like that, you know, is, is pretty specific to yeah. a certain area. Yeah, so it it was really cool just to go to a whole different habitat type to yeah. bird specifically. So that that was that was a ton of fun, anyways. So we we searched around for a bit. Um, you, you really have to work to get species in this alpine habitat. So 
the birds, there's not a lot. There's the trees are really thin. The food sources are really low. So the birds travel in flocks and they find groupings of either insects or seeds that are on, on these pine trees um, to get to. So when you find a group of birds, it's like, oh, now you got to really work the flock. Yeah. Um, you got to work the flock really, really, really good. So we've, we've kept seeing, it would be like a flock of like juncos would go by and be like, okay, we got to find, we got to find the unique bird mixed in with the juncos. Mm-hmm. Or we'd see a group of siskins and there'd be like a random one Cassin's finch hanging out with the siskins and then a, two yellow rump warblers with it. So it was, it was really, it's, it's a lot of work, but it's really like, rewarding work trying yeah. to work through these flocks well and kind of the nice thing is a lot of the sightings of like gray crowned rosy finch tended to be later in the morning mm-hmm. so like most of the lists that i saw started at like 10 or 11 yeah so we were thinking for we're, like an hour or two yeah so we were thinking we're a good timing to find this this is the sort of time frame that people are, are generally looking for them they're generally finding them um we kept hearing clark's nutcracker mm-hmm. which is super super cool bird it's a big like Raven J sort of it's not as big as Raven like a J or a almost a crow sized bird yeah and they're just gray black wings and just kind of like this long bill which you'd be I'm, to me I'm surprised that they that long bill is like a pine cone like specialist sort of thing like it it cracks open things to get to get to the seeds inside it I, I would think it would have something like a gross beak bill but it's kind of it's kind of long longer and thinner which I was kind of surprised about but um but a really really interesting. Really interesting bird that specializes in cracking open pine cones and other seeds and, and nuts. Nutcracker. Nutcracker. <laughs> Clark's Nutcracker. Weird that they named it like that. I don't I don't get it. It's it's a mystery where it gets its name. Um, yeah, but we ended up, you know, walking around that uh, concrete building, whatever mm-hmm. it was. Um, and the siding of the Great Crown Rosie Finch had been uh, alongside one of the snow patches feeding yeah. at the edge. So we scoured that for a little bit. Um, just didn't didn't see any, but there were a lot of things calling around. Most of them ended up being pine siskins. Yeah, lots of pine siskins. And also chipping sparrows, too. Oh, I, I forgot about the chipping sparrows. Yeah, I... I I, you, you called it. I was like, I don't know what that like noise was. And then you were like, well, it's Chipping Sparrow. Yeah. And, and then I was I, like, really? Chipping and then you second guessed me. So I, then I got out Merlin and it was and like it, Chipping Sparrow. And, and then like maybe 30 seconds later, I saw a bunch of Chipping Sparrows or two Chipping Sparrows on the ground. And it's like, oh, they're there. <laughs> so I was like, I don't know. I don't know. Like you, you were like right off the bat, like, well, Chipping Sparrow. Well, you know, and I didn't <laughs> see Chipping Sparrow on a lot of lists that I can remember. So I, you know, I didn't just come up with that one initially but yeah chicken yeah. sparrow yeah go with your gut i guess so because <laughs> they make a chip 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 sound obviously they're chipping yeah <laughs> um so yeah a lot of those and then uh the clark's nutcrackers hearing them call down the hill kind mm-hmm. of drug us down towards closer towards the parking lot uh, i keep saying hill it's a mountain <laughs> but whatever <laughs> that section of the mountain didn't have a lot of snow so it's still a hill yeah sure because in oregon it's not a mountain unless it's got snow on top that's true uh so eric got some great recordings and great views of the clark's nutcrackers mm-hmm. um and then there was also a lot of brewers blackbirds that were in the parking lot yeah. and like kind of picking around people's cars yeah there's when, when you have that many people it's bound to even even in a place like oregon where generally people take care of their trash trash is still going to get out like it's, it's a lot of people so there was still there was there was a little bit of trash in the parking lot that they were they were getting after, and the ground squirrels too. There, I saw a ground squirrel carrying a, a plastic uh, M&M oh. uh, um, bag, no. you know, a little baggie of M&Ms. I was like, no, don't eat that. And then the Nutcracker really wanted some of that too. It was kind of chasing the squirrel after it. Huh. Okay. Yeah, so in the end, 
No lifer. Bummer. Great, no great crowned rosy finch for us. We will definitely have to head up there. Maybe, maybe we'll go up um, earlier in the season when you can't get up as high. Well, I'd like to go up to Mount Rainier and try up there too. Oh yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, we should we should go up to Mount Rainier. So we really, I, I hope I hope to get up. I hope to get up a couple more times up to Timberline. Maybe some different times of the year to see see what we can find up there. Maybe we'll go skiing sometime. That'd be. I think that'd be fun. I think it's too late for me. It's too late for you. you yeah. You you can't learn how to ski. If I didn't learn to do it when I was ten, I'm not gonna do it. Ah, uh, you can learn. We can we can we can go up and learn how to ski. I'm It'll too fragile now. I'll break. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you're you're a tough Anna. <laughs> no, I'm like that king that thought that their bones were made of glass. <laughs> no, you got tough bones. <laughs> Well, good thing you're an EMT. Yeah, there we go. Uh, yeah, so that was kind of a bummer that we didn't get to see the lifer, but it was very cool to explore Timberline. Yeah, some lifer views. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a beautiful spot, and I hope if you come out to Oregon, you get a chance to go up there and Even see Even if it. you don't go skiing, at least going up to the mountain and seeing, seeing what, what Oregon looks like from the top of Mount Hood. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Yeah. So thank you guys all for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something new. Please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Music, and anywhere else that you listen to us. Um, if you'd like to connect with us on the socials, you can follow us at Hannah Goes Birding and Eric Goes Birding on Instagram. You can follow our Facebook page, Hannah and Eric Go Birding, our Twitter, at We Go Birding, our um, TikTok, at Hannah and Eric Go Birding. Um, you can email us at hannahandericgobirding at gmail.com. You can also follow our website, www.gobirdingpodcast.com. Tell us what you like, tell us what you hated, and share us with your friends. Ah!